Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the National Community Radio Network. Today's program was produced on Willy Kali country of the Barkindji Nation, with interviews collected across stolen lands. I'd like to pay respects to traditional owners and their elders past and present. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I'm Megan Williams. Widespread flooding across eastern Australia in late last year may feel like a distant memory. As these floods moved through northern New South Wales, they were followed by fish kills that you may not have seen on the nightly news. And these floodwaters across inland New South Wales funnel into the Barwon Darling, where it travels downstream to the Menindee Lakes. And Menindee is known as the site for the 2019 mass fish kills, where millions of fish died during a terrible drought. But last month, after years of good rain and flooding, it happened again. Today on Earth Matters, we hear from member of the Barkindji Elders Council in Menindee, Barb Quayle, in the days after this disastrous fish kill. And later, we take a trip down memory lane as the Jabaluka blockade turns 25. This is Barb Quayle, talking to my good friend and colleague from 2Dry FM in Broken Hill, Dan Schultz. People cannot drink that water once they start dying and going into the water. You know, fish are slimy, you know, the water will start going soupy. It's disgusting. It's not like when it was before, and that water was horrible and toxic. They were putting signs around the last time, and this time we've got like three, four more times the amount of dead fish in the system, and it's in our, um, in our water pool, you know. It starts from the main weir down to 32, then it's got to get over that, doesn't it? But these fish are just going to drop to the bottom of the water and it's got to be in, people have got to drink and shower and, you know, everyday living Mm. off this water in the river. So, you know, what are they doing now that it's been on the news? For them to turn around and say that it's, um, it's like natural, it's wrong, it's not natural. These fish are part of the river system. It's part of the cycle of life. So they're also... Uh, a fish for bigger fish to eat. You know, when we were kids, we'd clean fish and we'd often see little bony brim um, that the bigger fish had eaten. So it's not normal. We've never seen this before. This is the second time. This, this, we'll say it now and we'll keep saying it. There's got to be something in this water that's coming down, you know, for them to turn around and say it's that dead water coming off the plains. It's not our first flood, yeah. you know, and this hasn't happened before. It's wrong. These fish are our, our, our totems of um, the Barkindji people along the river, you know, so it's very, very, very sad to see this happening to our system again. Mm. You know, so the river was flowing, then it stopped, you know. It's, it's just wrong. And now... To, to Regis drove over the bridge and round the window down for two seconds. And then me and my daughter and my niece, uh, granddaughter, we were 
leave vomiting, dry retching because of the stench of it. You know, and that's just a drive over the river. Imagine the people that's got to live beside the river. Mm. Really got a feel from it. And today's a very, very hot day. And now that we're going through the air conditioners, they wouldn't mm. even be able to sit in their lounge room today in a cool. Mm. You know, it'd be it's wrong. Yeah. So many levels. And for it to be reported on the news to, to soften the blow, well, no, it's not. It's not that. It's not what they're saying that it's natural. It's not natural. We've never seen this before, and I'm 50 plus, <laughs> seen a couple of floods, but never like this. Mm. Never like this. It's like white carpet across the river. No. And they need to do something now, get water out here to the people. You know, people's got little babies. You know, they don't want babies having skin conditions again like it was before. Mm. It's time to stand up. You know, it, it's... True, with Uncle Badger's, you know, exhibition, great exhibition in Sydney, the Barkey is the Forgotten River. Something's got to be done to, to keep this flowing, to keep it right mm. again, not just smash it all through at once for what. And look what's happening. They're just all these fishes ending up through the system. Because, you know, it, it, it wasn't that long ago that it was a big river. Absolutely. And they pushed a lot of water down very quickly for homes and yeah. then shut the gate. Yeah. Well, what they did was they opened them gates in a hurry and people's homes was flooded, you know, and people were out of their homes. They're still out of their homes. You know, some of these are very aged people that can only do so much in a little time. But, you know, I'm talk, you know my mum was one of those people and we can only do a room because we're only you know, a couple of us that lives in this town with it, we can only do one room at a time, mm. you know. Uh, for this, I'm thankful because she's not down there on that water. But imagine if she was today in a heat like this, being 82-year-old, having to turn air conditioners off because that would be coming through. And then she would have to pump that water. She's not the only one. There's a lot of families on that river that's got to pump from that water. Yeah, that treat their own water? Uh, well, no, it's it's straight. Yeah. Some people just don't have that mechanism or that affordability to be able to treat their own water at home. Yeah. You know? I remember when we used to be on the river and as kids, Dad would have his own pannikin and, you know, if we were hot, running hot, he'd just scoop a, water, a cup of water that water river and we'd drink it because you could do that. These days, I don't even like my people going down near the river now with the state of that, mm. what a health hazard. That's and you, disgusting. And you're concerned about what's coming down the river in terms of its quality. Yes, absolutely. Pollutants. So if it's happening here, what's happening upstream? Mm. It's just got to come back down through the system. Don't let it go back to the way it was before. Mm. You know, impacting people's lives, you know. People that um, live on this water, people that, you know, the farmers, not cotton farmers, eh? <laughs> you know, people that run sheep and yeah. cattle, you know, for people's livelihood. Yeah. And they're, they're releasing water from Pamamaroo into the river to try and clean it down because the water in Pamamaroo is a little bit cleaner. But there's a bit of concern that 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 you won't have your lakes left for very long. Not so much concerned. If they've got to do that, there's going to be no lake again. Mm. You know, there's been, 
You've seen so many tours come into town. You've seen so many families come back and reconnect and being able to go out and people practice their cultural ways out there, you know, people starting cultural tools up and yeah. starting that kind of stuff and sharing their stories, you know, but the lakes are going to be dry. That's just going to stop again. Yeah. You know, then they'll stop, do um, Pamamaroo. Oh, now we've got an empty lake weather all. Oh, then we're going to, it's just that chain again, yeah. mismanagement, you know. It's a far cry of the people. Hmm. And you've just started a touring business based on the, the lakes, cultural yeah, tour. My ne- yeah, my nephew started that. And um, the interest, you know, that we've got and the people that's wanting to come out to learn about um, the system and the cultural um, life that Aboriginal people, you know, sustain themselves on, on the foods and the plants and um, how they used to live the ancestral people used to live back in the day, but, you know, as I said, it's going to be an impact, mm. you know, which is it's terrible, but you've got to flush that system, but not to the extent that they've got to manage it a lot better. Mm. So just when we thought we were right, the environment's coming back healthy again, it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? Yeah. It, an absolute vicious cycle. You almost forget what happened a few years ago and then it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Barb Quayle is a member of the Barkindji Elders Council in Menindee and was speaking to Dan Schultz from Tudray FM in the days after the catastrophic mass fish kills last month. It's a big story with lots of elements and Dan and I have covered it on another community radio program called Water Watch in a three-part special series. You can find out more and listen at waterwatchradio.com. And now it's Lesbian Visibility Week and the environment movement has always relied heavily on the work of women and queer people in the fight for what we believe in. Perhaps none more than the anti-nukes movement. So for our second story today, we're going to remember the days of the Jabaluka blockade, which is now in its 25th anniversary. I speak with Kirsten Blair, who was part of the campaign and now works for the Mirror People through the Gunjami Aboriginal Corporation. So thank you so much, Kirsten, for joining us on Earth Matters. Uh, and maybe just start us off, could you give us a quick overview of the story of Jabaluka? Sure. Well, um, yeah, I guess that story, in terms of the Australian uh, nuclear movement and campaign context, that story sort of goes back to the mid-90s when, um, or even earlier, actually. So in the late 70s, when there was a big push from the federal government to develop the uranium reserves that they'd identified in the north of Australia, um, Ranger Uranium Mine was first cab off the rank in Jabaluka, there was a very strong push to develop Jabaluka at the same time. So both of those are on Mirar country and uh, Ranger was forced onto Mirar. There was no opportunity for them to veto that uh, as part of the establishment of the Land Rights Act. And really the reason that Jabaluka didn't go ahead at that time was because the Labor government was elected with their no new mines policy. And so then that was on ice for the um, period that there was Labor in power federally until 1996 when the Howard government was elected and they were very clear that they really wanted to 
reopened the idea of Australian uranium mining and Jabaluka was their their flagship for that. So because they'd been so clear about that, uh, the Mirror were aware that that um, threat was coming back and they sought support from people across Australia and uh, worked at a real grassroots level to uh, gain that support from people across the country and worked closely with environment groups, uh, including those with strong anti-nuclear campaigns, to establish that campaign, which became really pretty enormous and was ultimately successful. Yeah, and can you tell me what it was like on the ground? So, you know, the the threat of a uranium mine being built on their country emerged as the Liberal government got back into power. And how did the campaign proceed? Yeah, so initially, the um, one of the first things Amira did was to establish Gunjaitme Aboriginal Corporation. Now, they were doing that, they did that actually before the Howard government was was um, elected because there was there was a recognition that they wanted to have their own organisation to represent their views and to work to protect country and culture. And then the, um, Howard was elected and this was sort of the main work of Gunjaitme in its early years amongst other native title and other work. But uh, so there was a representative organisation specifically for the Mirror and through that uh, Mirror spent time travelling around Australia. So they did your classic set of sort of town hall meetings telling the story of the threat and it um, was a really powerful story which obviously captured the imagination of a lot of people. Uh, and the I think the first sort of public engagement was the postcard campaign which people might have seen or might remember that amazing hand symbol which is now used across the world in anti-uranium campaigns but was developed by a Melbourne artist, Kathleen McCann, specifically for this first action for um, the Jabaluka campaign. So it's the black hand in front of the radiation symbol in the red, black and yellow Aboriginal flag colours. It's a really powerful symbol and yeah, the first sort of sense that people got of its existence was through the postcard campaign where there were postcards distributed across the country and people were invited to send those in to, to let the Mirror know that they supported them in their resistance to Jabaluka. And from there, uh, the momentum began to build, I guess. And the next sort of big public thing that the Mirror did was to have an enormous banner created, which had that hand symbol on it again and said, stop Jabaluka mine. And people carried that up the stone escarpment on the Jabaluka lease, which is with on Mirror country, and hung it in, off the escarpment so that it was in full view of one of the main roads through Kakadu. So the 250,000 tourists that visited that year drove past that sign and saw this protest in the middle of the National Park, which is a very unusual thing to see. And um, really that started to alert people in a public way to the fact that things were not all as rosy as they might appear in a place like Kakadu. And did it eventuate into a blockade? Yeah, absolutely. So from there, the momentum was beginning to build. So this is 1997 and... the Students and Sustainability Conference, which people will remember historically was a really powerful and important uh, time on the calendar for activists in Australia. Lots of students and others would participate in that conference and learn about all kinds of issues, a lot of opportunity for politicisation. And the 97 that was in Townsville and Yvonne Margarula, senior traditional owner and other Mirror and Gunjaitme uh, staff travelled to Townsville to share the story at that event and invited a busload of students to travel back from Townsville to Jabiru to camp on Mirar country and learn the story uh, about Jabaluka, spend time on the lease, go and um, experience range of uranium mines, so to see exactly what was being resisted. 
And from there, that that group of about 50 people then returned to their home cities and towns across the country and really started to build the Jabaluka Action Network, which led to support groups and action groups across the country. And from there, really, in the next year, when the um, decision was made that a blockade really needed to be established at the site, it was through that network that people uh, travelled up to Kakadu to spend time at the blockade. So... Yeah, as it continued to build, um, there was just a really savvy set of uh, strategies in place by the Mirror in terms of um, sharing the story in a really meaningful way and ensuring that people had a personal connection with the the story and a really strong commitment from so many people to support Mirror and stand with them in that resistance. So, yeah, in 1998, um, Friends of the Earth in Melbourne put in a massive amount of the work to coordinate buses and buses of people to travel up to Kakadu. So lots of people travelled there independently, but a whole lot of people spent, you know, three days on the bus to get up to the blockade camp, which was 12Ks out of Jabiru. So it was a very remote situation to be dropped off there and left there for two weeks to be picked up by another bus a couple of weeks later and taken back. So it was a big, big commitment that people made. And, um, yeah, the camp, over the course of the camp, there were thousands of people through that camp and over 500 people were arrested in various versions of non-violent direct action to support Mirar and really make the point that this mine was something people didn't want. Yeah, and, you know, we've just passed the 25th anniversary uh, of the end to the Jabaluka mine. Is that, what is the 25th oh, anniversary? Yeah. It's the 20, well, the, it's currently, we are in the 25th anniversary of the blockade happening. So the 23rd of March this year was the 25th anniversary of the blockade starting. So there were events to commemorate that, uh, including one in Darwin, which um, a whole lot of Mirror came out from Jabiru for, and we had um, uh, various speakers and you know film screening. We showed Pip Star's wonderful film, Fight for Country, which if people haven't seen, really highly recommend. It's actually available on the ACME YouTube channel. Um and that really tells the story of the blockade beautifully. So there's just been, yeah, a strong recognition that it's been a long time and Mira have stood firm throughout that time despite the fact that the mining company continues to put pressure um, for the idea of mining at Jabaluka. And as Ranger is currently winding down, the rehabilitation at Ranger is what's is the main work of Energy Resources of Australia now. Um, actually, today, Energy Resources of Australia had their annual general meeting and uh, some of our good friends from the Environment Centre of the Northern Territory were out the front of the meeting and inside the meeting asking questions because while Rio Tinto, which is the parent company of Energy Resources of Australia, has agreed that Jabaluka will never be mined and has actually written it off their books, they've said that it has no value, Energy Resources of Australia is resisting that. And so there's one year left on the Jabaluka lease and the opportunity for them to mine does not exist. They've got a legal document which says they won't do it without the consent of the Mirar. But regardless of that, they actually only have one more year to even access the site. So there's no chance that Jabaluka will be mined and yet they're refusing to write it off their books. And so that that's just some pressure really on Mirar that's really unnecessary. And today there was a reference to the idea of the Jabaluka deposit having a role in a net zero future, which is complete nonsense, but obviously indicates that there are still people in that company who are holding out hope that maybe they'll get access to that deposit. Yeah, wow. That's um, very, you know, very timely news, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's not so much a piece of history. That's It's still going on. The, fr- the pressure's still there despite the fact that legally they can't do it. 
Yeah, and why is it important that we take the time to remember their stories and the milestones like this? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons we held the event in Darwin because the the Mirar story of ongoing resistance in the face of absolute confidence from both the company and the government that the mine would go ahead, they started to construct this mine and Mirar continued to say, we will not give up, we do not want this mine in our country and eventually they prevailed. And that lesson is as relevant today as it ever was because, as we know, there are communities across this country fighting unwanted developments. A lot of the pressure at the moment, particularly across the Northern Territory, is fracking. But there are other developments that people are resisting. People would be aware of the proposals up on the Burrup. And the story of Mirar continuing to exercise their authority as traditional owners is what caused Jabaluka not to be mined and that lesson is just so important and we are really we're really aware of the fact that communities across the country when they learn about that story they really do find hope from it and they are inspired by the fact that despite what the company might tell you despite the government's certainty if you know that it shouldn't happen then continue to stand up and you can win. Great is there uh, anywhere that our listeners can go to get more information? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, like I said, I would strongly recommend um, having a look at Fight for Country, which is yet yeah, on the Australian Centre for the Moving Image YouTube channel. If you just put in Fight for Country, you'll find it. Um, that's like a 45-minute beautiful documentary made by a very wonderful filmmaker, Pip Star. Um, the Can Jake Me website is www.mirar.net um, and there's also the Environment Centre of the Northern Territory website has um, up-to-date info about the campaign um, and at the moment really as yeah as I mentioned the situation is the pressure on ARA with relation to uh, downgrading the Jabaluka deposit but also very importantly on Mirar country the rehabilitation of the range of uranium mine needs to be done comprehensively and that's certainly not something that's an easy certainty and that's where a lot of our focus at the moment is. Great. Well, Kirsten Blair, thank you very much for joining us on Earth Matters. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Megan. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Earlier, we heard from Barb Quayle from the Barkindji Elders Council in Menindi. And that was Kirsten Blair, who remembers the Jabaluka blockade up in Kakadu and now works for the Mirror People. My name is Megan Williams, and I hope you've enjoyed the program today. If you want to listen back, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or search Earth Matters 3CR wherever you get your podcasts. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is a production of 3CR in Melbourne, but today's episode was produced in the studios of 2Dry FM in Broken Hill on Willyakali Country. And finally for today, we have Menindi photographer and bird watcher Jeff Looney taking us on a tour of the Menindi Lakes just days after the mass fish kills. And New South Wales has announced an inquiry since this interview was taken and there is increased testing happening, but his observations largely hold true to this day. And the song you can hear is Blue and Green, Silver and Gold by local musician Amy Volkovsky. And we'll see you next time. Blue and green, silver and gold, two million bodies 
lifeless and cold. Hear their song float to the sky, too small to count, too many to cry. But um, you know, you live on the river all your life, you know the, what's happened with it, and that, and you know a lot more about it, you know. And uh, it's just it's just devastating and, and, and disgusting to see so many fish killed in so many years and still no inquiry into the Darling River and its, its flows. Rather than just visit when there's something goes wrong, but should be testing it a lot more often, you know, and, um, and liaison with the locals to find out what, what's actually happening on the river. Because a lot of, lot of people along this river are keen activists in making sure the rivers run... Well, they rely on the water. It's a sacred river to us, you know. We, 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 we just live around the river, and when the river's looking good, we're looking good. But when the river's not looking good, you know, everybody gets upset. And uh, there should be a lot more transparency on what's happening in the river, what the problems are with the river, more testing in the river to make sure that it's kept up to, the, say, well, world standard. And this is not world standard at the moment. No rain for three summers. The river bled dry, a gentle stagnation, a heavenly cry. Blooms fill the water, stealing her breath. Animals flee from the scent of death. We just need some transparency, you know. This this wouldn't happen in the Hawkesbury or somewhere like that. It wouldn't be allowed to start. But it can happen in the Darling, you know. And uh, that's a lot of rubbish going down the river. Slick silver armour shimmers beneath Pulling green water, a body of grief Journey held captive, a purpose denied. They gulp at the air and cry their last cries. Ooh, ooh. A couple of dead water birds there, too. Yeah, cormorant here, and one hanging in the tree there. That's a golden perch out there. Yeah. You should get angry, but you get used to being like, you know, you get used to seeing things happen that you can't, you, know, you can't really believe would happen. Blue and green, silver and gold, two million bodies. Lifeless and cold Hear their song flow to the sky Too small to count Too many to cry